Good morning, good morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 this morning. You guys conserving your energy so you can have a lot of fun tonight? We celebrate New Year's Eve at Eastern time in my household. And so we're in bed by 9.15, as is our custom. Matthew chapter 4. We'll read this morning... Verses 12 through 17. We started the series a number of weeks back with prophecies from the book of Isaiah, and so we thought it would be fitting to complete our series this morning with the other side, where the prophecies of Isaiah in Isaiah 9 are fulfilled. And so we'll read this in Matthew 4, 12 through 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Let's pray as we open God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for this time that we've said so many times this morning is the last time for us to gather in 2017. And in a sense, that, that doesn't really mean anything. We know that next week will be another week, and, and these years and months and things are just numbers on the calendar, and yet on the other hand, it does. There's something to the end of a year that feels like a fresh beginning is coming tomorrow. And I know many of us in this room are longing for a fresh beginning for various reasons. Like Larry mentioned in his prayer, there are folks in here who have had a rough year and are looking forward to stepping into a fresh slate in 24 hours. And there are some of us who've had an exciting year and we're excited to see what God does in the in the following year. And so, God, we pray that you would remind us that you are at work and you invite us to partner in that. We pray that you would speak to us this morning as we look into your word, as Jesus begins this fresh season in his ministry, as these prophecies that were made 750 years before Jesus walked the earth finally came to fulfillment. We thank you for the start of this new day, which launched a new day for us, that we are living in these last times that Jesus initiated in his life and death and burial and resurrection and ascension. We pray that you would speak to us personally this morning and corporately as well as we share these moments together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you are excited for 2017 to end? Now, I used to love the, the first day of the school year. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was a big nerd and loved school, and it's cool to be a nerd, kids. Uh, <laughs> but my favorite thing about the first day of school, well, this is kind of silly. I don't know why I'm telling you this. But the, my favorite thing about the first day of school was I'd get my new school outfit, right, the night before, and I'd place it out on my bed. So it was like a flat human being laying on my bed, right, and the shoes on the floor and then the pants laying over the bed and then the shirt, and it all looks really good. And then I get my backpack, and I had like that fresh like trapper keeper notebook, and 
my number two pencils were all perfectly sharpened, and they were in those little pencil holders, and it was zipped up next to my bed, and it's probably the one day a year I'd make my own lunch, right, and I'd go down, and I'd make my own lunch, and I'd cut it into two triangles, because that's the best way to make a sandwich, cut in half, and it was perfect. It was clean. There's no writing in my notebooks. Everything was new tomorrow. I kind of miss that feeling. And as an adult, there's not a lot that feels like that. There's not a lot of newness in life. But there's something beautiful about that feeling we get in those little glimpses when something new is right around the corner. The artists out there, you get that new notebook or that new notebook, however you do it. And no one, not even you, is drawn or doodled in this thing yet. And you're going to crack it open and be the first one to put graphite to that page. Right? There's something beautiful about looking at something that's brand new and knowing that you can write anything onto it. And that's the beautiful thing about the dawn of a new year is nothing happened in 2018 yet. You haven't woken up with regrets in 2018 yet. You haven't made any dumb decisions in 2018 yet. You can do anything in 2018 right, right now. It's, it's wide open. It's like, it's like waking up really early in the morning to go on vacation and you get out in the car and it's warm, the heater's on, and no one's on the road. And you just look out and you think, this, this highway is mine. I got this thing. There's something beautiful about having an empty horizon in front of you. And we started this series about five or six weeks ago after Thanksgiving, talking about the journey that God's people took from Babylon to Bethlehem. It was a long journey that started with the prophet Isaiah who said, someday a Messiah will come and the people were ready for that Messiah and they waited and waited and waited and they fell into suffering and darkness and silence and longing and angst for 700 years while they waited for this new day to come. And then on Christmas, the Messiah stepped foot onto planet Earth and it was a new and glorious morning. And yet here in Matthew 4, about 30 years after Christmas, we read that this prophecy of light breaking the darkness is finally fulfilled as Jesus stands on the cusp of the beginning of his earthly ministry. And the picture I get of Jesus as he begins to, to move forward with his kingdom agenda on this planet is the same feeling I get when I think about moving forward into the year to come. That Jesus is standing here and the fields are white for harvest and he's ready to go out and do amazing work and yet he hasn't started yet. And there's something beautiful about him standing on the edge of Galilee and looking out. And we anticipate God's going to do great things. This morning, if you're taking notes, you can pull them out right now. It's blank. I wanted to put on the bottom, like, on your bank statements, this page it was intentionally left blank. Because <laughs> I want this to be a reminder this morning that tomorrow is the dawn of a new day. That we've got a blank slate in the year to come. That God can write anything into your life in 2018. And so the question I want to wrestle with this morning as we look into this particular text is what does God want to write into your life 
as you follow him next year. You know, some of you are thinking about New Year's resolutions. I'm not talking about New Year's resolutions. I'm not a huge fan of New Year's resolutions. Resolutions feel like a burden to me, right? It's like, oh, here's all the stuff I'm terrible at. I'm going to fix all that. You go around your house, like, i got to fix that this next year. i got to mow that lawn every week next year, right? Maybe my resolutions are just stupid and yours are great. But when I think of resolutions, like, i got to join the gym and i got to go for 30 days and then stop going again next year. That's my resolution. <laughs> i got to avoid the gym in January and then join in February when everyone drops their resolutions, right? Some of us get jaded with these things because we hate this idea of starting the year with all these burdens on our shoulders. And when I look at Jesus, this doesn't seem burdensome to me. What this seems like is a wide-open canvas for him to write ministry onto. And so what I want this page to remind us of is not that God is calling us to carry a bunch of burdens into next year, But then when we think about being resolute in the year to come, we should think about being resolute towards allowing God to write a story into our lives that is beyond anything that we can ever ask or imagine. What would he want to do in our lives in the year to come? And we're going to look at that by watching the way that Jesus stepped into the dawn of a new day as he fulfilled the prophet Isaiah's words from 750 years before and stepped foot into his earthly ministry. It's funny, this is one of those texts that I think we've read a lot. And yet, have you ever had that experience where you read a Bible text you've read a hundred times and all of a sudden you see all these things you've never seen before? That, that happened to me these last few weeks as I was studying this text. And the first thing I noticed as I looked at Matthew 4, this little passage about Jesus, was that the first thing that Jesus did when he got ready to start a new ministry was he moved. You notice that? That's the first thing that Matthew tells us was that Jesus changed his address. Jesus heard that John had been put in prison. He returned to Galilee. And then leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. He moved. And some of you are nudging each other. Like, I told you we got to get out of the bay. That's what God's saying. And I know we, we live in like the most expensive place in the world. And so all of us think about moving like once a month, right? Oh, I, sh- I can move to Sacramento and retire at 37, right? I, I can pay $400 a month in rent if I just can live in Arkansas, right? We, maybe God is telling me it's time to move, right? God's not necessarily telling you to move. I don't think the thing that Jesus says is that if you're going to follow him, you need to move. But I think it is significant that Jesus moved as God began to move in his earthly ministry. Maybe the question we need to ask is, why did Jesus move? In a sense, we could say, well, maybe Jesus moved because he was walking away from a really tough season. He he was tempted by the devil for 40 days in the desert. That doesn't sound fun. He comes out of the devil. He finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been murdered by the government. And so maybe Jesus says, well, maybe I should move. (laughs) Maybe it's time for a fresh start. I don't think that's it. I think some of us need to move to get away from some bad influences. Some of us need to move to get away from some of the things that we experienced last year. Some of us need to move to do all those things. But sometimes we move to try to avoid the realities that God has placed us in. I don't think Jesus was moving in a reactionary way to get away from what God was doing. I think Jesus was moving in a proactive way to get in line with what God was trying to do. And the interesting thing that I see here is that it tells us why Jesus moved. He says he went and lived in Capernaum to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah said the Messiah will start his ministry 
in this region at the northern tip of Galilee. And Jesus said, well, if that's where God is going to move, I'm going to move, and I'm going to go there. I think as we look at this text, some of us are probably called by God to move in 2018. Maybe God is calling you to move to Sacramento. Maybe God is calling you to move to Arkansas. Maybe God's calling you to move to Vietnam. Maybe God's calling you to move anywhere around the world. But the big question is not, where should I go? It's, what is God calling me to do? And when we think about the reasons that we daydream about moving, what are they? Money? I want to live somewhere cheaper. Right? Culture? I want to live somewhere that more aligns with my Christian values. Right? Family? I want to live in a place where I can raise my kids and be safe. Right? Security? Beauty, like these are the reasons that we long to be in a place that's different. And I'm not saying that those reasons are bad. That's not why Jesus moved. Jesus moved because God told him, I want you to go there. And he went. And, and the reason I want to labor this point as we start looking at Jesus' life is, is I think the key for us, if we're going to live on mission for God, if God's going to write a beautiful story in our lives on the blank slate of 2018, is the first thing we need to do is to align everything in our lives to what God is doing. Maybe you can move to Sacramento because it's cheaper. Great. Maybe you can move to Arkansas because you're a Republican. Great. Maybe you can move to Berkeley because you're a Democrat. Great. <laughs> But Jesus moved because the Spirit said, move. And Jesus moved because God said, I'm going to do a thing right there. And Jesus said, well, then let's go. If we're going to let God write a story in our lives in this year to come, it's going to start by aligning our lives with where God wants us to be. And aligning our perspective with, okay, I make decisions based on what he wants, not on what I want. You know that God is cares a lot about where we live. I was thinking the, the Apostle Paul went on a missionary trip to Greece where a bunch of Athenians lived, right? You think of like Greek history class from junior high. You hear about all these, the Parthenon and all these different Greek gods. Paul walked right up onto Mars Hill where these people were debating all these different religions and there were all these temples to all these different gods. There was the temple to Artemis, right? There's the temple of Zeus. There's all these different temples that people have erected where their god can live. And Paul walks right into the mid middle of them and he says, and a very important thing about the Christian god. He says, I want to tell you about a new god that maybe you haven't heard about. He does not live in temples made by human hands. He doesn't have a house. God doesn't have an address like y'all's gods. He said, but the God that we worship has appointed the time and place where all of us should live. He, he puts us where he wants us. And the truth we need to wrestle with is that maybe God's calling you to move somewhere else. But if he's not, God has put you in your house, on your street, or in your car that you live in, in that parking lot you stay in, or in that dorm in the college you stay at, or he's putting you in that cubicle in that office space, or in your home surrounded by your kids, he's put you there on purpose because he cares a lot about where he appoints people to be. And if you're here and God has not told you to leave, you're here because God wants you to be here. And he wants to do amazing things through you right here. Jesus saw that God was moving 
in the area of Capernaum. And so Jesus moved, not because Capernaum was an amazing place in the Galilean region where there are people from all different cultures coming and going, not because Capernaum was a beautiful town, not because northern Galilee was the most desirable reason. He moved to Capernaum because God said the Messiah will come from Capernaum. And so he went. Now, I love that Jesus started aligning himself with the prophecies about himself. You notice that? Now, a lot of times the prophecies that we read about in scriptures feel more like magic, right? Where the virgin will give birth to a child, and like, how's that going to happen? And then Mary's like, whoa, I'm pregnant, right? And, whoa, this is a miracle, right? The Messiah will come out of Egypt. Well, how's that going to work, right? And then Herod tries to kill the children. They flee to Egypt, then they come back out of Egypt. It's like, whoa, what happened? Now, how is the Messiah going to come from Nazareth and Bethlehem? Well, Jesus is from Nazareth, but then they had to go to Bethlehem to take a census, and then he was born in Bethlehem. We go, oh, it's like magic. That's how the prophecy works. And yet when Jesus got old enough to understand his identity and to know why he was sent to this planet and to know that he was the Messiah, he started making conscious decisions to align himself with the prophecies about himself. Isn't that cool? Now sometimes we kind of adopt that more passive, miraculous view of God where we say, well, you know what? God wants to do great things through me. He's just going to miraculously do them. I don't want to mess him up by trying to figure out what he's doing and stepping into that. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus saw what the Father was doing. He says, the Father is always at work, and I too am at work. And so he observed what God was doing, and then he stepped into it. And sometimes I picture the will of God like one of those moving walkways in the airport. You know what I'm talking about? Like we think, wow, if I just step on this thing, God will take me to the place that he wants me to go. And that's true, right? If you step on to a relationship with Christ, he's going to get you where he wants to get you. But you know the coolest thing about moving walkways? is if you get on one and you start walking, you're like booking it. Have you noticed that? Like you get on and your wife stays over there and it's like, see ya, right? And you're like, it's like this speed multiplier. And I see Jesus embracing that as he steps into his earthly ministry. That yeah, he doesn't have a passive view of what God is doing. He says, well, God's moving there. I'm going to go there and start to make some traction with the Father. As you're thinking about next year and what God is crafting in your life, pay attention to where God is at work so that you can step on board with him and begin to move with him in the year to come. Maybe you see that God's starting to put something together. Embrace that. Run after that. Pray about that. Talk to some folks about that. Maybe you see that God is building a relationship between you and some neighbors in your neighborhood. And you think, God's appointed me to live here. Maybe he's put me here so I can influence this place for good. Lean into that in the year to come. What's God trying to write? Don't just step on the walkway and hope you get there. Start walking with the Father on the mission that he's already been doing in your life. And maybe he's just now giving you a glimpse of what he's doing. That's what Jesus did. He knew the time had come to start his ministry. And so he looked at the prophecy about where the Messiah would start. He said, I'm going. And he went up north, went back to Nazareth said bye to his mom, went around the corner up to Capernaum, and he began his ministry in the place that God had called him to move. When we align ourselves with the will of God, life just starts clicking in a new and fun and exciting way. When we, when we know the purpose that God has crafted us on this planet for. I think that's one of the biggest questions that we ask ourselves a lot of the times is, God, what is my purpose? Why am I here? 
God, you've appointed me to live in this apartment complex? Why, right? And, and we sit at our kitchen table every day, and we stare at the Bible, and we have a little notebook, and we just keep asking God, why am I here, God? I hate this place. Why am I here? Just show me why I'm here. Why am I here? Why am I here? We're like waiting for this sign in the heavens saying, here is why thou art here. I could tell you why you're here. I think you're here to bring glory to God by loving him, by loving your neighbor as yourself, and by doing your part to bring his kingdom to the end of the earth. I think that's why you're here. You're like, well, what about me specifically? What's my specific purpose? Okay. Your purpose is to bring glory to God by loving him and loving your neighbors and doing your part to bring the kingdom to the ends of the earth, there and everywhere you go. If God has appointed the place and the time where you will live, he's appointed you there, kind of like this mini Jesus in that place. It's like his, his strategy for world domination was to get his spirit and his people all around the globe and say, okay, go to this street, this street, this street, this street, and just scatter his people everywhere so that wherever they are, they look around and they can have a sphere of influence there. That's your purpose. Bring glory to God by loving him, loving your neighbor, and doing your part to bring the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth, starting at your address or in your cubicle or in your car or wherever you find yourself. You bring his spirit. You bring his presence. You bring his gospel wherever you go. And Jesus went to Capernaum because that's where God told him to go. And he started a very simple ministry. It says in verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, if we're going to adopt the ministry of Jesus as we step into this new horizon in our own lives, then maybe our message is the same. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You know, it's real exciting to think about serving God wherever you go and being a a light bearer wherever you go until you realize that the message that you're carrying is a message that's called repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I picture that guy outside of Safeway on the corner with a sign that says repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is near. It's, it seems like a hateful message, doesn't it? It seems like that message repent for the kingdom of heaven is near means, hey, fix up your life because God's going to come and judge you soon. And isn't that what it sounds like when people tell it to us? Oh, do we really want to be people who go into our workplace saying, hey, y'all, I called this all-hands meeting to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And sit down, your, you probably want to do this, sit down your kids and say, tonight for our Bible study, we're all going to repent, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Go to your neighbor across the fence and say, hey, I just wanted to tell you I went to church today, and I want to just encourage you as you start 2018 to repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. It doesn't sound like a fun message. It sounds like one of those Jesus is coming, look busy type messages. <laughs> and yet that's the message that Jesus brought out into the world as he started to go and bring God's influence wherever he wanted, to start, wherever he went, starting at Capernaum, was repent, repent, repent. You know, the interesting thing is, when I think about people telling me to repent today, they all seem like mean people. But when I watch Jesus go and bring this message around, he never seems like one of those angry sign holder people. You notice that? When he brings the message of repentance, it, it doesn't seem condemnatory. Is that a word? It doesn't seem angry. It doesn't seem like he's pointing a finger and saying, repent, 
Because the kingdom's near, and when it gets here, you're going to be in trouble. It, it seems like good news when he says it. And he goes up to the woman at the well and starts talking to her about her life, and, and he tells her that, that he draws out of her some issues in her life where she's got sin in her life, and, and yet she seems excited about it. Right? She goes back into her town and she says, come meet this man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? It's like he, he pointed out my sin and it was good. I can't imagine pointing out my neighbor's sin and having him go back into his house saying, I just had the most amazing conversation with Danny. He helped me see how stupid I am and all the dumb things I'm doing. He told me to repent, right? His wife would be like, oh, I'm going to go out and talk to Danny myself, right? But Jesus had a way of bringing the message of the gospel, the message of repentance for the kingdom is at hand, showing that it's good news. And what I love is that we get to see him do this in action like one verse later. It says, Jesus was walking besides the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for their fishermen. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Matthew says, immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. Jesus says, stop doing what you're doing and come a different direction. Repent. Okay. And they start to follow him. And for, for Simon and for Andrew, it didn't seem like an angry message. It wasn't like Jesus was stopping him and saying, you need to turn around and go the other direction. And Jesus was coming up alongside of them and saying, I'm, I'm going this direction. You want to come, come with me? I think that's the big difference we see in the angry person repent and in Jesus repent. Is when Jesus says repent, he's inviting people to turn around and come the other way with him. And a lot of times when we think about the angry people, they come with their arms folded and they're like, nah-uh-uh, don't walk on the grass, right? Uh-uh, no entry, don't see the sign. Ah, go back the way you came, repent, turn around, make a U-turn, get out of my property, right? Angry repent. Jesus says, hey, you want to do something new? Come with me. It's an invitation. I think a lot of times we're scared to go talk to our neighbors and talk to our coworkers and talk to the people that God has placed around us intentionally with the good news of the gospel because when we think about the good news of the gospel, it feels like bad news. It feels like we're supposed to go to our neighbors and tell them to stop having fun and stop doing this and stop going to that church and come to this church and stop worshiping those gods and worship our gods and don't do that and you're going to go to hell and all that stuff. And I'm not saying that's not true. But when Jesus said it, he wasn't pushing people away. He was inviting them into something new that God was doing. I love that idea. The kingdom of heaven is near. He's saying, there's a new reality that's just emerging, and it's starting with me. Right? You don't say that. Only Jesus says that. But it's starting with me. Come and be a part of it. It's an invitation to stop walking that direction and walk this direction with me. Come with me. Repent and come to my house for dinner, right? Not to repent and have a prayer service and then come to your house and dinner. But invite them into your house for dinner. Go to your neighbor and say, you keep telling me about how terrible your weekends are because you never do anything fun. Come do something fun with me. Leave that life that you hate and let's figure out life together. But if God has really put you onto this planet to bring glory to him by loving him and loving your neighbor and doing your part to bring the kingdom to the end of the world, maybe it starts by inviting the people in your sphere to step onto that journey with you. And sometimes it 
it's a great next step to invite them to church. Sometimes it's so easy to invite them to a Christmas presentation or an Easter presentation. Sometimes it's just an easy part of the conversation to say, hey, can I pray for you? I'd like to come alongside you in that desire you have. Sometimes it's really easy to say, why don't you come over my house this Friday night if you don't have plans? When your neighbor's talking about hating the weekend because they woke up hungover every Sunday, say, hey, how about this? Come to my house on Saturday night. We'll have a different kind of fun. We're not going to wake up regretful Sunday morning. And if you wake up early, come to church with me, right? Invite them into what God is doing in your life. And I think the one thing that has to get put in place before we can do that is we have to realize that God is working in our lives so that we have something to invite them into. But Jesus' message of repentance was a message that says, I see, I see what you're doing over there. Let's come explore something new together. And sometimes that meant leave your life of sin. But fishing wasn't a sin. It was their job. Jesus said, let me give you a new job. You want to be a disciple? You want to be an apostle? You want to write the Bible? Come with me. And he invites them into something new. Let me look at this blank page in front of us. And I think we can spend some time today writing all the cool stuff we want to do in the next year. And there's probably something good about that. But I think it would be even cooler to say, you know what, this next year, I'm going to be conscious of the fact that God has placed me in the place where I live for a reason. I'm going to be aware of what he's doing around me and wanting to do through me. I'm going to invite others to to come alongside me and walk with me in the journey God has me on. And I'm just going to write down what he does. Let God write the story and you just step onto the walkway and start partnering and being like a scribe and taking notes on it. Because there's one thing for us to try to channel our lives and figure out where we want to go with it, but there's a lot of pressure there. But it might be more fun to spend the year as a partner with God, as kind of the assistant to him, instead of inviting God along on your ride and asking him to assist you along the way. When I see Jesus, who who was God in the flesh, he stepped into submission to his heavenly father, and said, I'm just going to do what I see you doing. I'm just going to devote myself on this planet to partnering with you. I'm just going to invite other folks into what you're doing in my life and what you're doing in this world, and I'm going to help them along the journey too. I'm just going to, I'm going to walk with you. Jesus never went off on his own and did his own thing. He never said, okay, God, just take a break. I'm going to go do this for a while. He, He walked with the Father, and God wrote an amazing story through his son. And the beautiful thing about the Spirit of God living in us is God says, I I want to do the same thing through you. I put you in the place where you live for a reason. I've surrounded you with your neighbors, even the ones you don't like. I've surrounded you with those people for a reason. Maybe the question to ask God is not, why, God, why these terrible neighbors? Maybe the question to ask God is, why, God, show me why I live in this place. If God's calling you to move, move. But if he's calling you to stay, and I think for most of us, he's calling us to stay. Let's make this a year where we partner with God as we get to experience him moving wherever we go.